I'm here today with Dr. Goja Brichinska to talk about her book, Blessed Hannah Shinovska, RN, A Nurse of Mercy. Dr. Goja, thanks for being with us today. Good morning, and thank you for having me here. Tell me first, who is Blessed Hannah? I don't think she's very familiar to most Americans or American Catholics. No, um, she is a, a, a nurse, a registered nurse, who died in 1973 in Kraków, in communist Poland at the time. Um, and she was beatified in uh, 2018. And she was known for the fact that she was the founder of parish nursing in Poland mm -hmm. in the late 50s and 60s and uh, co-worked with, at uh, that time, uh, uh, Bishop and then Cardinal of Kraków, Karol Wojtyła, mm -hmm. subsequently Pope John Paul II, now himself uh, a saint of the church. Um, and she worked with him on the pastoral care of the sick mm -hmm. in the Archdiocese of Kraków. That's okay. what, why she was blessed. Mm -hmm. But within the history of nursing, in Central Europe and obviously specifically in Poland, she entered the textbooks as a pioneer nurse and, you know, uh, for various nursing reasons. Mm -hmm. But she wasn't beatified just because she was a nurse. She was beatified because she was a holy nurse. Okay. Yeah. And so explain to me that term. What is parish nursing? Ah, yes. Parish nursing was a concept, as I say, that probably Hannah was a pioneer of that concept. Mm -hmm where attached to parishes, you would have registered nurses mm -hmm. under whom would be working volunteers, helpers, religious, lay, students, all kinds of people mm -hmm. looking after housebound patients, mm -hmm. patients chronically ill, yep. patients who otherwise would have no home, nursing home help. Mm -hmm. I think I'll put it like that. Based on, 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 on parishes. So you okay. belong to a parish and there will be an element of spiritual care together mm -hmm. with the nursing care. Okay. And so this is inevitably then going to involve the archbishop, it's going to involve the archdiocese because it is attached to the parishes. Absolutely. So you would need mm -hmm. um, you know, a green light, certainly mm -hmm. from, the, from the cardinal or the bishop in charge, um, and then the local parish priests. Okay. Yes. And so was she doing this work only as long as John Paul was in charge in that archdiocese, or was she working on it before? Um, well, um, she, she, when she was forced to retire from mm -hmm. her nursing work, she, uh, the communists just got, got rid of her position. They didn't yeah. like her. She was too religious. So, so she found herself as what I call young retired. Mm -hmm. So as a young retired, she looked around for projects. She, she knew these people were without care. Mm -hmm. And yes, she went to talk to yeah. people in the church. And in fact, she went to talk about the problem mm -hmm. to then the young vicar in the church of St. Florian in mm -hmm. Krakow, who turned out to be Karol yeah. Wojtyła. Okay. She didn't know him up until that time. Ah. Um, and he said, oh, uh, for this kind of a project, give me two or three days, I'll come back to you, mm -hmm. I'll tell you what to do. After two or three days, she and her friend went and they went to the Basilica of the Blessed mm -hmm. Virgin Mary in the Market Square in Kraków 
and they talked to the rector of the basilica, mm -hmm. Father Machai, who was a very, very interesting man. Mm -hmm. And he just immediately said, mm -hmm. yes, this is a wonderful project, do it, but I don't want any problems with you. Yeah. It's like, get on with it, do it well, mm -hmm. and I don't want any repercussions. Yeah. And she loved that, and she wrote that in her comments. And he, this Father Machai, Mm -hmm. um, said that the crowning, he did many beautiful things in his life, mm -hmm. including during the war. But he said the crowning work of his life was cooperating with Hannah. So she must have left a, you know, a, a mark mm -hmm. on, on, uh, on, on, on him. And, uh, yeah. Interesting. So you could say that as happens throughout church history, it was persecution that led to a great work and Indeed. a sanctity. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not clear if um, she wasn't sort of, uh, how do you say it, uh, mm -hmm. expelled from her work, yeah. you know, uh, fired, basically mm -hmm. fired from her work. Cancelled, you might say today. <laughs> yeah, you really. Um, whether she would have the time and the energy and thought about setting mm -hmm. up parish nursing. It's not clear, because yeah. she could still do it, because she still had the energy mm -hmm. and, the, and the vigor. Yeah. You know, she probably would have done some volunteer work, but mm -hmm. it's not clear at all that that would have happened. Okay. And so John Paul was there at the start, even before yes. he was Archbishop of Krakow. Yeah, oh yes. Mm -hmm. even so then the collaboration with him yeah. continued. Pers continued. They were very uh, close friends. There were some very mm -hmm. beautiful letters going back and forth between them. Um, and as it turns out, because Hannah's uh, uh, canonization cause was mm -hmm. brought before, uh, uh, obviously, uh, Pope mm -hmm. John Paul II, he was still alive when yeah. it was brought up. Um, those letters were, were, were made public. Today you can't read them. They're all under in the archives in Rome and nobody can mm -hmm. look at them. But, you know, I mean, obviously, presumably they're digitalized, but, yeah. but they're not publicly available. Hmm. But we have seen them and they're very beautiful. Okay. So there's, this is one of those examples of pairs of saints, of mm -hmm. not just one on his own or her, one on her own, but but their interaction helped make them each saints. Absolutely. What they were saying in Poland uh, when she was beatified was that she was the first from the circle mm -hmm. of John Paul II yeah. to be beatified. There's about five or six of these mm -hmm. candidates for sainthood yeah. who all worked with JP too, and she was the first to be cool. beatified. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. A real pioneer. A real pioneer. Yeah. All right. So how did, how did their collaboration lead to the sick and the care of the sick coming more deeply into the heart of the life of the universal church, not just of the church in Krakow? Yeah, She'd, she started a couple of things that eventually had echoes in the universal church. Mm -hmm. And when you put it in the context of the late 50s, beginning of the 60s, I mean, we, we were just at the conclusion of Vatican II, mm -hmm. the great council of Vatican II. So you've got to put it in that context. What did the church look like at mm -hmm. that time? Um, but one of the things that she did was she got the local priests involved with the care of the sick. Mm -hmm. When Hannah initially went to the parish priest, they said, we don't have any sick. Yeah. I don't see any sick. Because <laughs> they're not coming to church. Because they're not coming to church. <laughs> so she, she said, but you know, you need, you need to go into their houses. And mm -hmm. she literally dragged them. And yeah. that's what, in fact, what she did. And one Lent, uh, early in the 60s, I think 1962, 63, mm -hmm. something like that, she took uh, the, the then bishop, he was still bishop of, mm -hmm. of Krakow, 
Karuvoitua, and he said, accompany me when I do the round amongst my housebound patients. Mm -hmm. Well, he was just horrified by what he saw. Mm. He had never seen yeah. such poverty, such deprivation, mm -hmm. people without medical care, yeah. people who hadn't been to church in years, yeah. um, never had a Holy Communion, because mm -hmm. the priest didn't go to them. Yeah. In those days, the only time a priest would come is when you're dying. And that's if somebody called yeah. called him in. If they didn't, if nobody yeah. called the priest, he would die without the blessed sacrament. And he himself was a healthy man. He himself oh, yeah. had been raised in that military family, and so yeah. orderly and yeah. tidy and connected. So he, yeah. this is this is probably a real revelation for Absolutely. someone who just never. Yeah, I mean, he knew that people could be sick. You know, yeah. His elder brother was a physician. Yeah, but you know that was like in hospitals. It was yeah. all organized and whatever. So, and then ever since then. He, he himself visited mm -hmm. the sick every Lent. Mm -hmm. He would you know, choose the X number of houses oh. and go around. Mm -hmm. So that's for himself. When he became bishop and then cardinal, he made sure that all the seminarians spent mm -hmm. some of their time, seminary time, yeah. actually in hospitals, working with chaplains, visiting the sick, mm -hmm. going to the homes for the elderly, that sort of stuff, so that the, yeah. the, the new generation of priests were, were more aware. Um, the other thing that she did, uh, uh, another thing that happened, he was so impressed by Hannah and what she was doing and the care of the sick, mm -hmm. that for the Krakow Diocese, he instituted the Feast of the Sick mm. on Our Lady, on the Feast of Our Lady of Lourdes mm -hmm. on the 11th of February. Mm. And that was just in his diocese, in his archdiocese. Okay. I don't think a lot of people know that bishops can do that for their diocese. Oh, yeah. Interesting. And then mm -hmm. when he became pope, he made that feast mm -hmm. of Our Lady of Lourdes on the 11th of November, uh, February, mm -hmm. um, the day where we pray for the sick and those mm -hmm. who look after the sick for the universal church. Mm -hmm. And so now it, we, everybody thinks, well, yes, you know, yeah. we, we wheel out our elderly in their wheelchairs and mm -hmm. they're chronically ill and they get anointed and yeah. it all happens on the, uh, the Feast of Our Lady of Lourdes. What they don't realize is that it started in Krakow under the yeah. uh, suggestion and influence of Blessed Hannah. I mean, there's a mm -hmm. direct correlation between yeah. his understanding the needs mm -hmm. of the sick and instituting this feast. And the other thing that we know that she helped institute was uh, masses in the homes of the sick. Mm -hmm. She said that some of these people, even if we stand on our head, yeah. we'll never get them to go to church. I mean, they, yeah. there was no way. You know, yeah. <laughs> they really were in high rises, or mm -hmm. yeah. and um, the only way they could ever be at a mass was if it was yeah. celebrated in their homes. And as I say, this was just at the point mm -hmm. um, when Vatican II was opening up. And I'm not even so sure that in Poland at the time, Cardinal. Um, Stefan Wyszynski, now mm -hmm. blessed Cardinal yeah. uh, uh, Wyszynski, yep. um, would have done that for the whole of Poland. But within yep. the Archdiocese of Kraków, mm -hmm. Karol Wojtyła said, yes, mm -hmm. we, we can have masses for the sick. Uh, well, yep. masses said in people's homes. Yep. However, there was a very interesting rider put onto that by Hannah. And she said, no mass is ever private. Yes, it could be in somebody's home, but invite in mm -hmm. the relatives, the neighbors, your, the nurses who look after you. Mm -hmm. it, that every mass is a public mass, yeah. open to everybody. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it also had, of course, the effect that people saw how this person lived. Yeah. The neighbors were more likely then to help them anyway mm -hmm. and so forth and so on. But I thought that was very interesting. And she said that just because it's in somebody's home, 
it shouldn't be sloppy. Mm -hmm. She said they, they, yeah. you know, they have to have it properly with decorum, mm -hmm. um, prepare the people for the mass, which I thought was very interesting. Um, yeah. And it's with a message for today, because I think yeah. there are some home masses and some of these masses that are a bit kind of yeah. a bit sloppy, you know. And so, yeah. you know, let's, let's never forget mm -hmm. that it's a very special occasion and it's great that we have it for the sake yeah. of the handicap, but mm -hmm. let's do it with decorum. Where did Blessed Hannah learn her faith? Like, there are people who are raised Catholic. There are people who come into the church. Then there's the, but, but everybody's got that turning point where they, they make it their own, where they really come to believe. Where did she learn to love the Eucharist like that? Where did she learn to love her faith? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a very interesting question because mm -hmm. obviously Poland is well, certainly in the 30s, mm -hmm. 20s, 30s was considered Catholic, yeah. but not as, actually not as Catholic as it is today. Mm. Um, and her mother was a Protestant anyway, and her father nominally Catholic. Mm -hmm. I think he became more fervent as, as time went on. Mm -hmm. I think her turning point, it was a slow, gradual process. It was no one great great revelation you know, from mm -hmm. this date. But certainly the experiences she had during World War II and at the very end of the war mm -hmm. led her to, to, to becoming a Benedictine oblate. Mm -hmm. And I think together with that commitment yeah. um, and that love of divine liturgy and, and, and the, I think that, that really buoyed her up to do the work, mm -hmm. to, to see in her nursing the vocation that yeah. she kept saying, nursing is a vocation, we're doing it for the love of God. Mm -hmm. And I think, it, I think it was the experiences of the war, which are quite horrific. Yeah. I mean, she lost her father, her brother, mm -hmm. um, her favorite aunt, I mean, a lot of death, yeah. and, and she just saw a lot of horror. She also was turned towards more fervent devotion mm -hmm. um, by a very close friend of hers, who was also a nurse. Um, and I think it's an example of where we would say, mm -hmm. never forget the value of friendship. Yeah. That if you have a friend who's a fervent Catholic, or put it the other way around, if you have somebody who's not mm -hmm. very fervent in their faith, but you are, continue yeah. the friendship. You have no idea mm -hmm. how God is going to be working through you. Yeah. You know, that, um, you know, trip, trip, trip. Yeah. You know, there is an effect. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Was she nursing during the war? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. She she nursed right through the war. Well, she was a she was a district nurse. She was a community mm -hmm. nurse, mm -hmm. and during the war, she was asked to coordinate by the the then cardinal in Krakow, Cardinal Sapieha, mm -hmm. the one who um, ordained mm -hmm. uh, Karol Wojtyła, in mm -hmm. fact, and he had set up this uh, committee for the relief uh, of the health, the welfare, a welfare committee for refugees and, mm -hmm. and uh, displaced peoples. And within that committee, she started in one aspect of the committee. By the end of the war, she had almost total control over the welfare of the refugees, disabled, women and children and, mm -hmm. and sick. So she did some hands-on nursing, but most of her work was coordinating relief yeah. Um, for the disabled and, well not disabled, but well, some of them were disabled, mm -hmm. but for the um, refugees and, yeah. and that sort of thing. Okay. So talk to me about what Blessed and Hannah can teach us about suffering and sanctity, those, that connection. Um, I think 
she she was very clear in her writings mm -hmm. um, that, that she said that nurses should pray initially for mm -hmm. their patients um, so that they would they would not be angry they mm -hmm. would not be angry at God that they would accept you know whatever their issue was she obviously deliver the best nursing care you can do everything you can to relieve the suffering of your patients but having said that pray for your patients she was mm -hmm. very clear about that yeah. and then with the praying for your patients mm -hmm. uh, eventually and some anyway would say pray with me yeah. so then the next stage is to pray with the patient and I suppose the last sort of phase would be um, some kind of uh, you would say redemptive mm -hmm. uh, uh, acceptance of yeah. your suffering for the greater good of the church and the you know, atonement of sins. Mm -hmm. But th that was never imposed. It was more if we're praying for our patients, praying with our patients, taking care of their spiritual needs. She was very keen that the nurses worked to prepare the patient to accept sacraments. Mm -hmm. You know, she said, we are to, as nurses, we are to prepare the way for the priest yeah. who would come with the sacraments. And so once the, the patient had the sacraments, you know, then, you, then it's a different, yeah. a different discussion mm -hmm. um, that you can't talk about redemptive suffering to somebody who, yeah. who isn't close to Christ. Because mm -hmm. yeah. you can only really do that if it's a personal encounter. Yeah. And I think that's, I think, a big problem with some of the approaches to redemptive suffering that we forget that element that mm -hmm. it the whole the whole understanding of suffering only makes sense if you've had a personal encounter mm -hmm. with Christ yeah and that's a gift from God mm -hmm. we could pray for it but unless yeah. you've had it then it's like why are you doing this to me you, you see it as something external to you yeah and this is let me play devil's advocate then to, for the outside world looking in, how can the Catholic faith find value in physical suffering? That seems to make absolutely no sense to the modern mind. Well, because suffering on its own doesn't make sense. Yeah. I mean, it's as basic as that. Mm -hmm. um, but for a person of faith, mm -hmm. if you understand way back in the Bible what mm -hmm. happened with Adam and Eve, in, a, in effect, being human, mm -hmm. part of being human is yeah. being exposed to suffering. Mm -hmm. Now, if you don't accept the Bible and if yeah. you don't accept that we are made in the image mm -hmm. of God, you know, whether or not it's apocryph or whether mm -hmm. or not it's a legend, but somehow we were created and somehow yeah. God said there was a beginning. Yeah. And that beginning involved yeah. an aspect of suffering. Yeah. Well, and I think like you had said about the importance of uh, a faithful Catholic <clears throat> continuing their friendship with those who don't believe of just the witness of yeah. sort of the luminosity that that faith, the Eucharist, the, the faithful devotion can bring to someone who is sick or to suffering. Mm -hmm. You know, like people can witness the difference it makes. They it's do. not just an asserted truth or yeah. like John Paul himself, I think with the Parkinson's towards the end of his life, was this incredible witness of redemptive suffering. Mm. And made his, his participation in the world days of the sick all the more powerful, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, he wrote that very interesting encyclical mm -hmm. about the nature of suffering and mm -hmm. uh, for the year of redemption, for the Jubilee year. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a very short encyclical, mm -hmm. and probably one of his 
more readable ones, yeah. you know. I mean, because he, he, was, a, <laughs> he was a very erudite man. Yeah. And, you know, the average Catholic, it's difficult yeah. for them to understand. Mm -hmm. But that is actually not too long, and it, 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 it is actually quite readable. And yeah. he, he sort of says, you know, there are many kinds of suffering, which is the other thing I think that's very important, and Hannah makes a big point of that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's not just physical suffering. When she was nursing her sick, um, you know, there wasn't very many medicines that could alleviate yeah. a problem. So the nurse really had to do an awful lot to, to, to accommodate, you know, to, to, to look after these sick, mm -hmm. to make them more comfortable. Yeah. So a lot of the solutions were non, non how do you say, non-pharmacological. Mm -hmm. you, you weren't zapping them with medicines. Yeah. So they weren't in, quote unquote, mm -hmm. pain. Whatever you were doing, it was non-pharmacological. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, they, the nurse had to, had to really think, how do I make this patient more comfortable? Yeah. I mean, I forgot to say one of the things she did to really relieve their psychological pain and spiritual mm -hmm. pain is she organized retreats for her shut-ins, mm -hmm. for these people who were mm -hmm. in their flats looking at a roof, uh, you know, 51 weeks of the year. Yeah. And she would take them to these retreat houses and uh, with volunteers and nurses and Carol Wojtyła would come and say mass and sermons and all the priests wanted to be involved and the students wanted to be involved and uh, they would help. And, and, and of course, these retreats were not silent retreats. Mm -hmm. they, were, they were like, you know, they were singing and dancing and sorting out these people and washing their hair. And there was one mm -hmm. lady that had her hair washed three, four times a day. Hmm. And Hannah said, what's going on here? And so the students who are washing her hair said, well, I don't know, she just wants her hair washed. Well, it turned out that this lady didn't have her hair washed for, for years on yeah. end. So when she realized she could have her hair washed, it was, it was a, you know, she, she was enjoying it. Yeah. And Hannah said, no, no, no. Three times a day is enough. She can have it again washed tomorrow. But, you know, with that sort of, yeah. you know, she really cared about her patients, but this was in the context of a retreat. And yeah. people say, well, how can you have a retreat like that? But these, these shut-ins, these people that were, you know, paralyzed or they had, um, after polio, mm -hmm. you know, you've got to yeah. think it was a different era. You know, they would come year after year. They would then insist on having a priest come. They would start saying, I want the communion regularly. You know, yeah. that sort of thing that, they realized people cared about them, that, that there are people out there who have noticed that they mm -hmm. exist. So when you have a retreat and you're looking after the sick, yeah. you know, it has to be adapted to their needs. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I really answered your question. Oh, no, that, I think that, that, that was something very yeah. unique yeah. you know, that she did. Well, that's important, I think, that kind of the letter of James thing about what good is it if you only tell them to go and, you know, pray or have faith or be well and be fed without actually providing for the physical needs. Yeah. And this seems like that, that marriage of those two things in the retreats in her witness in her life. Um, let, me, let me follow up with the devil's advocate just a bit again, because I think a lot of people see our focus on redemptive suffering and assume that means that we want people to suffer, that we think that, that there's value in suffering, therefore you know, palliative care wouldn't be yeah. something we attend to as assiduously. How does Blessed Hannah disprove that? I think in herself, you know, she saw the value of herself, mm -hmm. but she, she, she talks, she, she, 
I don't think there was that much. In her writing, she's not explicit about yeah. redemptive suffering. Okay. She, she does write, however, that I, mm -hmm. as a nurse, she says, I am helping Christ carry his cross. Yeah. So we would read into it, if, you know, that I, when I'm nursing mm -hmm. my sick, I am helping Christ carry his cross. Now, what about my patients? She says, she was very impressed, well, impressed. She was very uh, under the, um, she was touched. By the, by the thinking that the Christ in her, mm -hmm. everybody has Christ within them. Mm -hmm. We carry a godlike image within us. Mm -hmm. And she says, well, the Christ within me is meeting the Christ in the, in the sick. Because yeah. Christ is in the sick. And she thought that kind of concept and that communion of saints and that, that spirituality going from her to the patient and from the patient to her, uh, was was very important. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, if the patient is 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 ill, is in pain or is suffering, um, I think, as I said, she she would say, you you know, nurses should pray pray for their patient, and you tell your patient that mm -hmm. you're praying for them. Yeah. So the patient knows that they're being prayed for. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, you know, in time, they start praying with you. Mm -hmm. And then together, you can yeah. then start saying, dear Lord, help me to bear this suffering and yeah. whatever. Yeah. But it's, it's a gradual process, not mm -hmm. an immediate one. Yeah. But of course, she would say there is value yeah. in if you have pain, that's intractable. Mm -hmm. That there's just nothing that can be done. Yeah. There is, it's not a matter of doctors not knowing what's wrong with you. You've been checked out. Mm -hmm. You're not neglecting a cancer. You're not yeah. doing something silly. Yeah. But there's just intractable pain or you know. whatever. It's just not going to get better. Yeah. Um, you do use medicine. You do follow yeah, best doctor's uh, advice. You do absolutely. Yeah. That you know, mm -hmm. uh, offer it up to the to to, to that 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 pain, that frustration, mm -hmm. even that anger. Yeah. You know, to the good Lord and say, well, you know, there's so many reasons why. You mm -hmm. know, my own sins, the sins of the world, the yeah. sins of those around me. But. I don't think she was very explicit. She didn't write about suffering in that way. It just in those days that wasn't it wasn't something that was written about. Mm -hmm. I think mystics did, but yeah. she was a very uh, feet on the ground, you know, community nurse. Um, you know, she, that that wasn't quite her language. You mm -hmm. know, they just. Which doesn't mean that she didn't understand that concept yeah. or didn't practice it in, in yeah. effect. Yeah, yeah. In effect, I think the. Oh, yeah, it's unavoidable, I would say. In, in yeah, I, mean, I think the, yeah. the retreats were an example of where she's saying yeah. if we can show people that they're valued in, when yeah. they go back home and yeah. they are alone in their flats, you mm. know, you know, they can then start saying, "Yes, I had an encounter with Christ." Yeah. I saw Christ yeah. in my neighbors and the people who cared about me. Yeah. I am now prepared to do yeah. something. Even Christ himself had Veronica wipe his face, had the Blessed Mother present, had right. the women weeping. Like there was an accompaniment even in the suffering of him. Yeah. So people, to expect people to suffer on their own and still be saintly. Absolutely, absolutely. So ridiculous. I think this is sort of where, mm -hmm. we, where we would be looking yeah. for the evidence. Okay. Yeah. So the church has had many saints attended the sick down through the ages. What's unique about Blessed Hannah's beatification? Yeah, I think, well, we know mm -hmm. <laughs> that it was the first time in the history of the church mm -hmm. that a professional group mm -hmm. approached its 
bishop mm -hmm. to have one of their members beatified. Okay. I mean, the equivalent would be um, truck drivers saying, one of our truck drivers mm -hmm. is a candidate for sainthood. Okay. You know, it happened to be nurses, mm -hmm. but you know, the, it just never happened. It was either religious orders yeah. or priests or, you know, um, or dioceses would, mm -hmm. would say this person. But it didn't yeah. come from that. It actually came from her uh, students, from her colleagues, mm -hmm. from the students who, I yeah. mean, her nursing students, but also the students who worked on the retreat programs with her. Mm -hmm. um, they said, mm -hmm. this is an exceptional woman. Mm -hmm. And as time went on, yeah. it only, that, that conviction only mm -hmm. rose. And so they went and they asked mm -hmm. uh, for her cause to be started. And uh, as it turns out, I mean, Cardinal Ma Maharsky knew mm -hmm. Hannah very well. Um, and, uh, you know, it was that much easier. I mean, mm -hmm. it's always easier if the person in question is known already. Yeah. yeah, the whole formal process had to go through. But at least it wasn't like, well, who's she? Mm -hmm. You know, he, he actually knew who they were talking about. But I think that was kind of unique enough. And as it turned out, mm -hmm. she is the first yeah. registered nurse. And the distinction here is mm -hmm. that, yes, we've had saints who nurse the sick, some mm -hmm. are more, some less. Yeah. I mean, you know, John of God was very much a nursing order and mm -hmm. the chameleons are very much a nursing order. But, um, and the Daughters of Charity, of course. Mm -hmm. But they weren't necessarily registered. Well, that's obvious mm -hmm. enough because registration has only been around yeah. maximum 100 years. Mm -hmm. The first registration act was in the UK in 1919. Okay. So <laughs> we've just come up 100 years. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it makes sense that mm -hmm. she, that's why not registered. But for us now, um, she is the perfect patron saint for nurses mm -hmm. because she's gone through what most nurses have to go through. She went yeah. through nursing school. She's sat exams. Mm -hmm. You know, she, you know, she, she, she then actually was an editor of a, of a nursing journal, but mm -hmm. a regular nurse that nurses today can identify with. Yeah. Um, I mean, she wasn't married, mm -hmm. which a lot of current nurses are. Mm -hmm. But other than that, you can really sort of identify yeah. as a nurse in, in, in the fact that she had the same problems that mm -hmm. nurses have today. Okay. Yeah. And what, what brought her to your attention? Ah, yes. Um, I think what brought, well, see, I, I, I kind of knew about her, mm -hmm. a, because I know a bit about the history of Polish nursing. And as I mentioned at the very beginning, she is already in the annals of, 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 of Polish nursing and mm -hmm. nursing in Central Europe. Um, but also my, one of my relatives mm -hmm. who lived in Krakow was one of her co-workers. Okay. Went to the same nursing school as mm -hmm. she did in Warsaw. Um, and they were friends, they were colleagues. Um, this relative, my, my great aunt, um, uh, was a, also a contributor to the journal that Blessed Hannah mm -hmm. um, edited, the, a, a nursing journal. So they, they collaborated professionally and then they collaborated on the parish nursing project. Mm -hmm. um, so one kind of already knew about Hannah. Yeah. And I was working on, uh, I was delivering uh, workshops to Polish nurses and uh, looking for, I was doing my PhD and I was looking for examples of a wise nurse. And finally, the nurses in Krakow said, well, why do you keep asking us to do this mm -hmm. exercise and explain about wisdom? 
why, why don't you just take mm -hmm. Hannah as your example of the wise nurse mm -hmm. and, and, and be done with it, you yeah. know? And I said, well, if I have to, I will, you know? That's so funny. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I knew about her, but I hadn't really delved into her spirituality. Yeah. And as they say, obviously the good Lord had other plans mm -hmm. for Hannah and other plans for me. I mean, this was way before her cause was opened. Yeah. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. But, okay. yes. All right. Um, she had written a lot. What were the, the sources for a lot of this? Yeah. Um, she, she was an editor of a journal, wrote, obviously wrote editorials, wrote many articles. Some of them were relevant to mm -hmm. her beatification, some not. I mean, yeah. she wasn't beatified because she was a registered nurse, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. not interested in wound care, you know, there, there, were, there were other issues. Yeah. But she, she also wrote for her parish nurses. Mm -hmm. She wrote something that's here on, on, the, on the covers of her books, mm -hmm. something called the examination of conscience, the nurse's mm -hmm. examination of conscience. Um, and that's a lovely little document that she adapted for the Polish nurses, most we think it was most probably something written in the 1950s or published in the 1950s by the International uh, uh, Committee of Catholic Nurses. Mm -hmm. um, and she adapted it and made it her own for Polish uh, purposes. Mm -hmm. um, so she wrote that. Um, she wrote various bits and pieces for her parish nurses. She wrote mm -hmm. three books. The two of which were published. Uh, one is still in manuscript form, mm -hmm. so I obviously read all of those. Um, and she wrote poetry, mm -hmm. uh, some of which has been translated. Uh, and it's like trying to put all of that together. And some of the letters that you, obviously I mentioned that she wrote to JP too. Yep. But um, yeah, yeah. She, 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 her father was a professor of literature. Mm -hmm. She herself had done a couple of years at university in the Polish language department. So mm -hmm. she, was, she was very much a, a, a literate sort of person. I mean, she, she enjoyed Polish literature. She mm -hmm. wrote very beautifully. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. So there's enough there to go on. Yeah. Can you share with us her beatification miracle? Ah, yes. She, uh, the miracle was of a colleague mm -hmm. who started out actually as one of her students and ended up being a colleague. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, her name was Zofia Schlendak. Mm -hmm. And um, initially, she was quite close to the church, that is, this, this lady, Zofia. In fact, she, she was a member of a secular institute. Mm -hmm. um, and various things happened to her along the way, and she left the secular institute and actually married a divorced man. Mm -hmm. And all of this meant that some of the Catholic nurses in Krakow kind of moved away from her, mm -hmm. okay? So she then ends up being, there was something wrong with her, as they say. You know, she would, she would be, it looked like she was drunk and she was kind of tipsy and, uh, and kept falling over. And one day she fell in front of a tram. Yep. Well, the tram stops and she almost got a fine. You know, what are you doing? You know, well, they, when she got to hospital, they x-rayed her. They realized that she has an enormous aneurysm in her, mm -hmm. in her brain. Mm -hmm an aneurysm, and um, uh, it's very diffuse, and it's not operable. Mm -hmm. So they said, look, that's why you've been half drunk most yeah. of the time. You know, there's pressure on your brain. You're, yeah. you're, you're, um, and it's just a matter of time. You know, hopefully it won't burst, but if it does burst, that's it. You know? yeah. 
So she did get more and more sick, and one thing led to another. And one day, she, uh, she was at home. She calls one of her friends, who was one of the members of the Catholic Nurses Association, and she says, don't come to me tonight. I'm not feeling very well, but don't come to me. You know? mm -hmm. I said, like, don't disturb me. I want to, I'll go to the hospital myself tomorrow morning. Mm -hmm. Well, as they say, she didn't make the night. The, the aneurysm burst, mm -hmm. she ends up in, 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 in a hospital. She was had a massive stroke, yeah. massive bleed, mm -hmm. um, cardiac problems, this, that, and the other. Um, she had a series of bleeds before. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not like, you know, there was no other problems. There were all kinds of problems even before this. And so she's unconscious for about six weeks in a hospital. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, this friend of hers, um, uh, called Anna Putko, uh, so this Anya, mm -hmm. she, she decides to tell the other Catholic nurses, and we're going to pray for, for her, mm -hmm. for her recovery. Yeah. I don't think at the time, or at least talking to the vice postulate of the case, um, I think at the time they were just praying for her to recover. Mm -hmm. And I think as they went on, I think it was like a novena or something, mm -hmm. but as they went on, they, um, the Catholic nurses prayed more and more for, for a miracle. But it mm -hmm. was very clearly that through the intercession of Blessed Hannah, who had been her colleague, who mm -hmm. had known her, yep. you know, um, that she recovered. Um, and then one day, whilst they were praying um, in the church of St. Nicholas, in fact, which was the nurses' church, mm -hmm. close to where all the hospitals were. Um, the, the Anya, during this devotion, says, I've got to go to the hospital, I've got to go to the hospital. So she runs out of this service, mm -hmm. runs to the hospital, and finds Zofia pretty much sitting in bed, co perfectly conscious, saying, I want to go down to the chapel, I've got to go down to the chapel, you know, mm -hmm. I've, I've got it. Um, and it's just amazing. Mm -hmm. And the recovery was was immediate, long-lasting, mm -hmm. yeah. and, and, and so on. Um, she was in a better shape mm -hmm. after uh, this whole episode than she was even before. Mm -hmm. um, and she said that as she was becoming unconscious, she saw Hannah. Hannah said to her, don't worry, everything mm -hmm. will be all right. That's, that's a help. That's a help. <laughs> so, uh, and, and it was, and, and, and what is so significant, I think, and it's so biblical really, is there was a physical healing, but also a spiritual healing. Mm. It's like time and time again, when we look at the Gospels, you know, Christ will say, yes, you're healed, yep. but go and sin no more. Yep. You know, it's sort of like, I'm healing your body, and now I've healed your soul, and I'll keep it. Keep it, keep it well, keep it, yeah. keep it for me. Sin no more. That's great. Yeah. We've been talking today to Dr. Goja Brkczynska about her book, Blessed Hannah Shanovska, RN and Nurse of Mercy. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, thank you for having me. Thank you very much. To order Blessed Hannah Shanovska, RN and Nurse of Mercy by Dr. Goja Brkczynska, please visit shopmercy.org. This has been Sparks of Mercy. Thanks for listening. Pray for me, I'll pray for you. Jesus, I trust in you. I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.com.
DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Thank you.